I'm Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute. On each episode of this podcast, Jeremy Floyd and I program a triple feature movie night. Each of the movies share common themes, and we discuss them here. We're happy you could join us for today's block we call Hitchcock on a Train. All aboard the Grindhouse Institute Express as we ride the rails into the mind of Alfred Hitchcock. A favorite motif in several of his films, Hitchcock was able to showcase the scenic romanticism of train travel while juxtaposing it against mysterious and sometimes sinister narratives. Robert Hannay's London vacation takes a sharp detour when he becomes involved with a mysterious spy who winds up dead. Blamed for her death, Hannay will need to elude his pursuers, convince a beautiful woman that he's innocent, and jog the memory of a vaudevillian performer in 1935's The 39 Steps. When the lovely Miss Froy vanishes without a trace, and no one else seems to remember her, Iris is left wondering whether or not the elderly governess ever existed at all. Was she real, or just a hallucination brought on by being hit on the head? Margaret Lockwood and Michael Redgrave star in The Lady Vanishes from 1938. Guy Haynes doesn't know what he's in for when he's unwittingly caught in a murderous plot with fellow train passenger and snappy dresser Bruno Anthony. Bruno's theory of swapping murders, crisscross, becomes reality and Guy must clear his name. Farley Granger and Robert Walker star in 1951's Strangers on a Train. Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute. Please enjoy. I fired those shots. You what? Yes, to create a diversion. You see, I had to get away from the theater quickly. There were two men there who wanted to kill me. Really, you should be more careful in choosing your gentleman friends. No, 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 you don't understand. Well, you don't make it very easy for me, do you? Beautiful, mysterious woman pursued by gunmen. Sounds like a spy story. Wait a moment, there was somebody else. As we passed this compartment, Miss Freud stumbled in. There was a tall gentleman and a lady. All right, now we're getting somewhere. If we can really find someone who saw, we'll have the place searched. Can I be of any assistance? That's well, the gentleman. Well, do you happen to remember seeing this young lady pass the compartment with a little English woman? I'm, uh... I'm afraid not. But you must have. She almost fell into your compartment. Surely you haven't forgotten. It's very important. Everybody's saying she wasn't on the train, but I know she is. And I'm going to find her even if I have to stop the train to do it. Two fellows meet accidentally, like you and me. No connection between them at all. Never saw each other before. Each one has somebody that he'd like to get rid of. So, they swap murders. For example, your wife, my father. Chris Cross. All right, welcome back to the Grindhouse Institute. I'm your host, Brian Foster. With me, as always, is Jeremy Floyd. Hello, and how are you? Uh, it's pronounced Froy, F-R-O-Y. <laughs> as you vanish yeah. halfway through the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, today, again, a very special show. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about three Hitchcock films. Uh, we're, we're dubbing this one Hitchcock on a Train. Uh, three films that uh, trains play a, a definite prominent part of the, the storyline with three of these uh, Hitchcock films. Two of them being, I think, the final of his um, British period, right? And then the third, Almost, he, was yeah. in, he was in the U.S. at that time, right? Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about The 39 Steps uh, from 1935, The Lady Vanishes from 1938, and Strangers on a Train from 1951. Um, again, never saw any of them. Um, the only thing that I'd <laughs> yeah. seen about uh, Strangers on a Train is what we were discussing the other week was uh, Throw Mama Chris from Cross. the Train. Chris yeah. Cross. <laughs> I do your murder, you do mine. Chris Cross. Chris Cross. I, I love that, that <laughs> montage in Throw Mama from the Train. 
I, I was, and and when they got to that part of the movie, I was kind of expecting it to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You mean like running it over and over? Or, or... Right, right, right. Like it, you know, it was like just playing in a, on a loop in Danny DeVito's head <laughs> exactly. as he's watching the movie. <laughs> Crisscross. You do my murder. Crisscross. I do yours. They swap murders. Crisscross. Crisscross. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in in terms of uh, the British period, I mean, the um, he did one more movie after Lady Vanishes, mm. the uh, it's called Jamaica Inn, uh, with um, very famous British direct, uh, actor and one-time director Charles Lawton. Oh yeah, uh, who um, his only directing credit was on uh, Night of the Hunter. Night of the Hunter. Yeah, Night of the Hunter. You haven't seen it? No. Oh man, we we need to watch that. It's okay, you, all right. You're gonna like it. D- don't look up anything about it. I think you're just, uh, you're just going to take my word That's for really it. That's really hard to do. I have a massive trigger finger when it comes to the internet. <laughs> and things. Yes. I love spoilers. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so that, but it is toward the end of his British period. You know, he, uh, Hitchcock, of course, you know, you know, started in the silent movie era and, you know, had sort of dozens of films there. Um, and I think 39 Steps was one of the movies that helped kind of bring him into, uh, you know, being more of a recognized name and like, you know, he started to like focus in on this genre uh, and, you know, it was a, a commercial success and especially Lady Vanishes apparently uh, also was uh, pretty famous. Uh, and then due to the popularity, I think, of Lady Vanishes, he got his American contract, although he had to finish one more movie before he could leave. But that was when David O. Selznick was like, why don't you come on over the pond yeah. and make movies over come, here? Why don't you come over here and, and I will control everything about you <laughs> uh, and make you develop this crazy style that, you know, you only film a certain number of frames so that someone can't cut your movie a different way. <laughs> he, he started doing that with David L. Selznick. It was very weird. Or at least that's the legend. I don't know if, if you could... <laughs> In order to save his creative vision, he would... Yeah. Well, because... So the first movie he did was Rebecca, mm-hmm. which we talked about a little bit with uh, Eileen Jones. Yeah. Uh, way back in... Insert episode name? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was a Halloween one, right? Or an October yeah. one? Yeah. Which, apparently, the way he was conceiving of it and you know, kind of directing it, it was uh, supposed to be one way, and then they recut the shit out of it and turn it into something else. But it also won the Oscar and was kind of, you know, famous and became kind of like a this uh, poison pill for him. But supposedly, you know, out of that and some other experiences with L. Selznick, he developed this really particular style of like, you know, just filming the things he needs and nothing more. So there's no other way to cut it, you know, more or less. <laughs> However, ironically... There are two different cuts of Strangers on a Train you can find. Oh, so, really? The one that we probably both watched, uh, it's, you know, just the, the regular sort of uh, American cut. There's another preview cut that is sometimes referred to as the British cut, okay. which, uh, you know, has a different ending. Uh, that Like, they don't go back to the train. It's, it's just um, the sort of uh, girlfriend getting the call. What was her name? Not not Pat Hitchcock. The other one, the other uh, the, the other Morton daughter, the Ruth Roman character. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she gets the call and it's like, okay, everything's fine. And then we you know we end the movie there, as opposed to like the sort of like you know uh, punchline at the very end right. of going back to the train. Like, hey, aren't you uh, <laughs> Guy Haynes? The dreamscape ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. I beg your pardon, but aren't you Guy Haynes? 39 Steps. <laughs> yeah, we could start with 39 Steps here. Um, yeah, we're already so deep into the other one. No, that's great, yeah. This was the first time I had seen this. I know that this is a classic or considered a classic um, by many um, I know that Orson Welles himself considers this to be an absolute masterpiece or considered yeah. it to be a masterpiece. Right. Um, this was, I feel like this movie is the start of all of the, um, what do you call it? Stranger in a Strange Land, and... escapist oh, okay. um, type films, you know, where uh, this uh, basically just civilian ends up in some strange place and he just gets thrown, thrust into this. Uh, crazy adventure um, very north mm-hmm. by northwest in a way uh, you could see the, the say, genesis yeah. of that um, so this was very exciting to see the movie made right before this was the first man who knew too much right and you could see how obviously that was a rough draft for what became uh the <laughs> jimmy stewart version uh and this one you know like you said like, it kind of feels like north by northwest it's like hey let's do that again but uh we'll kind of ratchet everything up a notch mm-hmm. it's interesting because like just in the same way that uh, Man Who Knew Too Much, um, he took so- sort of the same formula and, and reapplied it, but then, you know, found a better way to do it. In this one, same deal. The woman that uh, Robert Donat runs into on the train, um, he ends up running into and getting handcuffed to later. Uh, but in uh, in North by Northwest, they, they, he kind of did it the other way, which is like instead of having that be a conflict, you know, having them kind of get together off of, off of that moment. Um, which, you know, I, it, it feels like it's, it's a better way to do it. Uh, I do definitely like how, uh, things didn't go according to his plan in, uh, in this one. When he tried to, to kiss her in <laughs> yeah. the train car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was kind of so glad good. that she, she put up a fight there and, and right, got, right. Him, got him busted. Cause that's, that is what ha- would happen, you know, other well, than yeah, his exactly. ass beat fire. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, there, there was cool. Those are like those tropes that he was, uh, you know, introducing to the cinema world yeah. and they're used all the time now you know things like that you know the well, guy hiding behind someone kissing her and you know like yeah or or like or the the woman who got the knife in the back i, I think that same gag was in uh north by northwest i mean someone else got a knife in the back i mean it's like carrie grant of the un was like oh you know? also isn't that uh what happens to the uh french fellow in um yeah the remake yeah, yeah, of yeah. man who knew too much yeah <laughs> And and I, I think it's great because I you, you feel like you know in those scenes that that knife must be in her back the whole time, right. and like by the end of the scene she just kind of falls forward and yeah. then oh the reveal of the knife. <laughs> yeah, she had she had uh, the perfect sense of drama to, uh, to <laughs> reveal where that knife was. But yeah, I, I think this one is uh, a you know a slight stretch on our theme here. You know, it's like I I feel like the a lot of the train stuff is. Um, these progressively get more about trains as we go along. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's you know, it, it's it's less of a, a focus on the movie. In fact, um, so originally I kind of was thinking about this block, and what I was thinking was, okay, Lady Vanishes, Stranger on a Train, and North by Northwest. And we found a much more interesting way to use North by Northwest mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with Bruce. Uh, so that one went away and then i was like okay what else is what else has a train in it oh yeah 39 steps because it's pretty much north by northwest uh although the way that north by northwest makes it feel like it's more of a train movie is that we come back to the train in the end Mm -hmm. uh whereas 39 steps we we don't um but uh but the 39 steps has one of a really cool visual uh effect on the train uh uh when uh robert donut when he leaves the train car from the window and comes back into the train car 
Oh, and yeah, they had, yeah. like, the set of the train s- sitting there with a rear projection behind it of a train moving right, right. that I think he reused in Lady Vanishes. It's the same, like, effect that he put... Or it might have been in Strangers on a Train. And it was like he used that same effect, but it was so... It, right. Especially for the time. Like, as a person in the 30s going to see this film, I'd have been blown away by that. Right. It looks like he's about to get hit by a the, the train coming the other way. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's great because, like, a lot of the um, memorable set pieces are on the train in this one. And, you know, it, uh, it kind of set up where he would, he would be going with his, uh, his sort of like, you know, romantic approach to, to trains uh, that Hitchcock has, you know, he must had, or must have had some sort of uh, fascination with, uh, you know, parlor entertainers or, or uh, magicians. Uh, in this one, you've got Mr. Memory. Am I right, sir? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I just love that. You know, like I would have told, the, asked that guy something, you know, like what's the weight, average weight of an elephant? And he'd have given yeah. me that weight. He'd been like, is that right, sir? I'd be like, sure. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. You tell me, dude. Oh, wait, I thought I, I, I'm supposed to have the answer first. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's able to convince anybody that, that he has the right answer. Like, you know, no one had any Wikipedia to look these yeah, things right. up, so they yeah. don't know. It's like... <laughs> just a good, confident answer, and that's exactly. the answer. Um, but, I, but I like that he didn't, you know, let that be a one-off. It, it actually becomes part of the story, you know, and... And you've got, yeah. um, with, with that one, you've got Mr. Memory. With The Lady Vanishes, you've got uh, Senor Dopo, I think his name was, the magician. Oh, right, the magician. Right. so you've yeah, got yeah, like yeah, all yeah. those yeah. double-backed uh, <laughs> boxes and things yeah. that you can escape from. And that was, right, it just right. made very cool sense for, for the stories that he was uh, portraying. Yeah, that, that guy's face was so great, the <laughs> Senor Dopo or whatever. He just is like, you know, what do you want from me, face? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> don't understand. I mean the lady who looked after me when I was knocked out. Ah, perhaps it's maker you forget, eh? But yeah, in uh, 39 Steps, it was, it was interesting. I had kind of forgotten that uh, Robert Donat was supposed to be uh, Canadian. Yeah. In this, and it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, he doesn't really sound Canadian, but maybe that's how, <laughs> you know, maybe he was just living there uh, off and on. I guess we don't know too much about him. Not much at all, um, and that's kind of what I liked about about the character. He, he could have been anybody, and I think as a viewer, you can kind of put yourself more in someone that's not given right. too much information about. You yeah, know? yeah. It's, a, it's the everyman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You don't stay here always. No, I've taken a furnished flat. I'm only over here from Canada for a few months. By the way, am I allowed to know your name? Smith. All right. But clearly, this is a a time when when spies were were a, were a hot ticket um, item or a storyline because oh, you yeah. know these two first movies are are all about spies and secret conspiracies and um, right. I mean, the, I really the whole love sort that. Of end of his British period was 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 full of spies. I mean, it was like you know, the man right. knew too much. Uh, Thirty nine steps, secret agent, which is the very next film. Sabotage, the, the next film after that, which has um, Sylvia Sidney in it uh, as a young Sylvia Sidney. Um, yeah. Juno, your caseworker. Yeah. <laughs> Are you Juno, our caseworker? Yes, I evaluate individual cases and determine if help is needed, deserved, and available. Are you available? No. There's a lot, a lot of spy stuff. I mean, you know, and then of course when he when he got here, the second movie he did was Foreign Correspondent, which is also a, you know a spy movie, and then you know so he. Ended up doing a bunch of spy movies right around sort of World War II. In in this case, these are all like, uh, as we'll see with Lady Vanishes, like you know the the spies and what they're doing. It's not clear which country and who they are. It's just yeah, you know, it's some vague European nation. And it's I, like, I think Lady Vanishes, they're in a in a fake 
uh, European town yeah, to start. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a fake name. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to say, um, uh, in terms of Hitchcock, um, you see from you know these earlier films to the you know the one in, that happened in the fifties and Strangers on a Train. Um, what what an improvement between the Thirty Nine Steps and the Lady Vanishes. You've got what three years or probably two and a half years, maybe yeah, three years between mm-hmm, the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and what an improvement between those two films, even though they are pretty similar. But mm-hmm. you could see where he's just kind of taken like his craft. It has just improved so much. Um, and specifically around the sound. Um, I feel like, yeah. you know, they were starting to obviously have real sound in, in film at this time. It was like the, a huge part of it. Um, and he was using that more and more um, and using it as plot devices, you know, using music right, as exactly. plot devices and things like that. And it was, Although there was sort of a, it wasn't like a full on uh, MacGuffin, but like the, the, he did have that tune stuck in his head with Mr. Memory, right. uh, Robert Donut, that is. And, you know, so th- there was a little bit of that. But, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, yeah, like the Lady Vanishes definitely uh, was able to, to come, come to the next level, which is interesting because uh, apparently um, the studio that he was making it with, like, uh, didn't want to give him a whole lot of resources to make the movie, which is interesting, you know, because supposedly he was starting to, you know, get more and more um, – acclaim and and sort of like you know more popular and of course lady vanishes became popular but like at the time apparently they they gave him their like smallest studio and you know hmm. it was like less resources or whatever but yeah you're right there is definitely what feels like a lot more sort of technique on display with lady vanishes and you know or a lot, lot more refinement i should say yes it's funny when, when, I, when i started lady vanishes like the first time i, I watched it uh, i was like oh man i'm not in the mood for a silent movie because like the first <laughs> Like whatever it is, like five six minutes, it's completely silent. And in, in fact, like when like they the miniatures, first, yeah, with the miniatures, and then we we go into that little, uh, uh, you know, inn, and there's a bunch of people sitting around in a, in a lobby of this of this uh, hotel or inn or whatever, and some people come up to the the front desk and kind of nod and you know are are, are you know gesturing and all these things, and I was like, oh, is this going to be a silent movie the whole time? Yeah, I, I I didn't know what the hell it was. I was like, oh, it's Hitchcock. Okay, whatever. I'll watch it. Um, but uh, it wasn't until like the door sort of blows open that we start hearing sound. I mean, other than like sort of score for the right. first time. You know, we, that's the first time we hear sort of diegetic sound. <laughs> and, uh, right. Even though you think about the movie and it's like, oh, it's all on a train, right? It's like there's actually quite a bit of time, like you know, a good half an hour, you know, almost forty minutes maybe. Yeah. Before we get on the train. Right. <laughs> and, yeah, setting uh, up the uh, the table setting, the exactly. traveling uh, females together, the friends. Um, right, right. I think Blanche is one of their names. I just remember that from the Golden Girls. Uh, <laughs> but right, yeah, right. Um, yeah, it's it's not totally on a train, but this one definitely takes you know whatever little bit of train business you had in Thirty Nine Steps, and 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 really like makes a whole second and third act out of it. Right, exactly. Are you coming in to tea, sir? I'll be right along. in the very beginning of 39 steps to go back to that for a second the um we're at the sort of vaudeville stage you know there's the commotion because you know this woman just like was firing a gun we don't find out till later that you know she was doing it just to create a diversion and get out of there mm-hmm. um but there was that moment where like the sort of stage manager was like oh oh uh, quick quick you know get the orchestra to start playing to calm everyone down or whatever <laughs> and th- th- there's something that almost the exact same gag happens in raging bull i don't know if you remember like at one point there was like this riot uh maybe it was like when one of the 
fight decisions didn't go Jake's way, and it was like obviously uh, wrong, and and, and the, the whole place started getting upset. And the guy was like trying to get the national anthem to play or whatever, and like try to calm the, the crowd down. <laughs> it's like you know, uh, not not working. <laughs> I'm still shocked watching Hitchcock movies uh, that how how big he would think. And, you know, he was thinking way outside of, you know, some of the limitations that they had at the time in movies. Um, And like one of those being, you know, the use of rear projection. uh, One of those being the miniatures that he uses. He really uses them at the beginning of Lady Vanishes. I mean, you set up an entire town, (laughs) you know, that you're going into with this. Um, But, you know, there were some really interesting shots, you know, very long or wide shots of like up on a bridge that was clearly uh, uh, another um, oh, uh-huh. miniature totally yeah. reminded me of uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, I mean, I've seen it, but yeah, I, I don't remember what you're talking about. There, there's, there are clear miniatures in it. That movie is like from start to finish, basically a big homage to cinema from every era and every decade. And there's mm. one part of that where, you know, Har- Jonathan Harker, who's Keanu Reeves, terrible casting. Whoa. Yeah. He's reading from his diary or writing in his diary, and there's a miniature of a train that comes across. And it, re- uh-huh. it looked like exactly the same way. It had the same, like, motion, the smoke and everything. I was like, okay. You know, like, clearly he was, they were right, pulling. Right. But just to see how much this guy has inspired um, still blows me away. Because you see every, all the all the little bits and pieces from this movie are in stuff that you see today. It's It's incredible. Right, right. Despite the fact that some of the, um, you know, whatever story devices or even some of those like miniatures and rear screens, whatever, you know, uh, because the the print we're watching is is so clear and whatever, we're, we're kind of like you know seeing the, the sort of seams and edges and whatever. Right. Um, despite all that, I like there's so much stuff that's like really effective in this, and especially like when he goes to uh, see the, I I can't even remember what what is what he was supposed to be, but there was some guy who lived in a mansion and he's like, Oh, wh- what's the matter? Uh, and he was like, yeah, uh, there's a, there's a guy who's got like all these state secrets or whatever. And we've got to stop him. Uh, yeah. Is there anything, you know, is there any distinguishing characteristic for this guy? <laughs> like, yeah, he's missing uh, his thumb or whatever. He's like, are you sure it wasn't this finger? <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> oh shit. <You> know? <laughs> kind of reminded me of uh, when we were watching, uh, cloak and dagger and the the person took off the glove and they were missing the two fingers and that was the oh, distinguishing right um, right right yeah factor of that yes right and, and and cloak and dagger i i remember thinking that that was that was like oh that's a very hitchcock moment yeah you know, in cloak and dagger right right, right. yeah i i kind of forgotten about that no. i i also thought that the gag where um donut gets um shot but he survives because he had the yeah. bible him in his in his, in his breast pocket <laughs> But they kind yeah. of just grazed over it. Like, they made, they would make so much more of a big deal of it in movies today. You know, there would be, like, the moment where he'd pull it out, and the bullet would be in there, and you'd get right, the, right, But in this right. one, it was just like, <laughs> we'd cut back to that old couple at the farm. Oh, I gave yeah. him your jacket, but my Bible's in there. Yeah. And that was kind of, like, the whole reveal of that one. <laughs> but, again, right. like, something that's used today, and I thought it was strong. I can't find my hymn book. Where did you leave it? In the breast pocket and overcoat. It was hanging here. Hitchcock has this uh, really great um, ability to sort of ratchet things up and, and keep the, the sort of stakes and the story propelling. You know, and like every time 
you know, Donut thinks he's safe. It turns out, oh no, he's being pulled up on stage, or oh no, there's, there's, you know, this. You have to give that impromptu speech. That was yeah. excellent. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or there's that one cop who was like, yeah, yeah, I believe you, I believe you. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get this guy arrested and whatever. And it's like, God, thank God you guys are here. How long was I going to stall for this guy? And like, turns out the, <laughs> the cop had like, what was that? He's was my just... best friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, the cop was just trying to like hold him there, and then you know, then we kind of like cut to the outside of the building, and he's breaking out the window and running away, and like you know, <laughs> the, but then you know, it, everywhere, every step of the way that there's like things kind of being ratcheted up, and like you know, we're, we're having all these like, uh, even in an early movie like this, we can see how he uh, you know does suspense, and like that was one of the pieces on the train where it's like he's in that compartment with those two guys, you know. He's like, can I see your newspaper? And he's like looking over the newspaper and like looking at the guy staring right back at him in you know kind of a you know creepy way. After they were just talking about like <laughs> the, the different bras and whatever the guy was selling. <laughs> <or whatever. laughs> They're much prettier than they were twenty years ago. More free, free and easy. You're right there. I can never understand how people used to put up with the old-fashioned sort, all bones and no bend. Put a pretty girl inside those. She needn't be ashamed of herself anywhere. All right. Bring it back to me when it's filled. I will. <laughs> and then he, like, you know, jumps off the train and, like, he's like, uh, you know, where is this place and where's that place? And, you know, he's, and he's, like, trying to figure out whether he should stay on or get off. And, like, you know, uh, just the sort of nervousness and whatever. Like, you know, you you really felt that as the audience uh, watching it, even though, you know, again, this is a pretty early uh, movie in his uh, sort of suspense world like this. And also, you're given, um, you know, the title of the film, right? The 39 Steps. You're given that phrase um, right off the bat from, you know, that first spy that he encounters, the first female. Oh, yeah, And yeah, throughout yeah, yeah, the yeah. entire movie, he, he brings it up a few times, but you never know what it is until the ver- like the very last line of the movie. Right, you know, you don't right. get clear on... I mean, you can yeah. kind of piece it together what it is, but it doesn't come out forthright and say... Right. You know, when Mr. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Memory is about to die and he just kind of gives the definition of the 39 <laughs> steps. It's an organization of spies collecting information on behalf of the foreign office, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then oh, he was, that's what it was. And then he has the, the plans for the rock cutter. And then, and then he's the one that had the, the idea for a silent plane, like a silent yeah, spy yeah. plane. I think that that was like the big crux of it, right? But Right, at the end. But it's cool that all that stuff is kind of just like hidden within a person's brain, right. you know? Like that's where it's... Uh, where that information is locked it's pretty well, and, interesting how he did that and just like you know a lot of the uh MacGuffins that he uses in his movies like it's just such a perfect expression of that which is that, like it's this thing that is sort of propelling everything it's a thing that like all of these other people are concerned with and and you know killing over and doing all these things but the sort of main character and what that person wants uh and therefore sort of what the audience is rooting for has nothing to do with this. Like they don't care right. about the specifics of it. it. It doesn't matter. Like right. He said, "What is a MacGuffin?" He said, "Well, it's an apparatus for trapping lions in the Scottish Highlands." Man said, "But there are no lions in the Scottish Highlands." He said, "Then that's no MacGuffin." <laughs> you don't need to explain the fucking midichlorian count. <laughs> You know, it's it's just the thing that sort he of to, propels he had the to plot. Fucking bring you know? up the M word here. <laughs> <laughs> the DeLoreans are a microscopic life form that resides within all living cells. I've wanted to see all of these old Hitchcock movies for so long, especially this one because I've heard such good things about it. Um, uh-huh. Of the three, not my favorite. I'm mm-hmm. not saying I didn't love it, but it wasn't my favorite. Um, I did love Strangers on a Train. 
the most. Um, but okay. as we, you know, have done the show before, I feel like, you know, having these three films together, Strangers on a Train sits off on its own. It feels uh-huh. a lot darker. It feels a lot more sinister than the first two films. You know, I know that The Lady Vanishes. I mean, it's it's scary because um, this woman's kind of on her own, um, you know, and all of a sudden, uh, Froy, Froy, what was her name? Yeah. Uh-huh. When she just disappears and now yeah. everyone's like, you know, no, you're crazy. You know, you got hit in the head with... Uh, some sort of potted plant that right, got right, thrown right, out right. of a window. And so well, you're, you're thinking fuzzy, you know? <laughs> and the sort of like immense uh, conspiracy yeah. against her or whatever, you know, it's like... Uh, Everyone was in on it. You know, yeah, exactly. You're, you, you as the audience are kind of pulling your hair out and then like, maybe, I, don't, I don't know, was there a point, I mean, you know, I, I've seen the movie so many times now that I don't even think about it, but like, was there a point where like, you were starting to think, oh, maybe it was that she got hit on the head. Yeah, that it was a dream or that she... Uh-huh. That, but that I mean, Freud wasn't what, around. what I'm asking is like, was it was it fooling you as the audience, like, were, or were you questioning that? Um, I was up until they revealed the the brain surgeon or the doctor, the surgeon uh-huh. that, that brought that body on, and I'm like, okay, yeah. you know, yeah. that was a little bit much. But I mean, but in the right way, you know, cinematically, they they gave you that shot, you know, to kind of give you the clue, right? To mm-hmm. as as an audience member, you're participating at that point, and I was like, oh, that looks fishy. Um, but other right. than that, yeah, I thought that it, it would have been a great uh, twist if that was, you know, if Roy was never a real person. Um, and then and the two golf buddies from um, Dead of Night. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Charters and Caldecott or whatever. Caldecott, yeah. <laughs> Caldecott. <laughs> yeah. So we've had well, Michael Redgrave from Dead of Night and then the, the two yes. golfers, right? Like, right. Yeah, yeah. I forgot that Michael Redgrave is in this. I, I, I was like... It didn't dawn on me until like maybe like three quarters of the way through the movie. I was like, "Wait, that's Michael Redgrave! What the? <laughs> what a what a fantastic actor! What an outstanding, smooth like presence right, on screen! Right. Like he was fan- right. he was great in this." Right. I it's it's interesting because it's like the whole movie. It it you know obviously you kind of in your mind you're you're thinking of uh like thinking back on it you're thinking okay, it's this kind of thriller. It's you know like you think about the shootout at the end maybe or like. Um, the uh, like the, all the mind games you're just talking about, yeah. Um, but throughout most of it, but then also like especially toward the beginning, there's a lot of comedy in it, and yeah. and and it's a it feels like a screwball comedy, especially because it's like you know there's these two characters that uh, you know you know whatever shouldn't be together, and like you know it, there's all these like little um, bizarre rules for what a screwball comedy is, and like you know it's like. You know, childless adults. Uh, you know, in this like, you know, madcap romance, and and that's kind of what it felt like between the Margaret Lockwood and uh, Michael Gray, uh, Redgrave characters. Then you're also getting the the sort of uh, uh, Charters and Caldecott characters that are like, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you're not sure what, what's uh, what's supposed to be going on with those guys. They they keep like are like are so stressed out about what's happening in England. What's happening in England? And it, like it turns out they're they're only they give a shit about his critic cricket. Yeah. They wanted to watch a cricket match in Manchester <laughs> or something. Yeah, right, right, right. Which even at the end, I think that it got rained out. They didn't even get there, right. or there, there was no match. <laughs> right after all that. Yeah, that that shootout at the end um, that definitely would be played up now in a modern uh, film because uh, at, at one point uh, the, the the pair of those guys caldecott and whatever he gets uh, shot in the hand mm-hmm. and he hardly even like reacts yeah. to it it's just kind of like oh. <laughs> no, it's you. like he's he, you didn't even see what happens like you hear a gunshot yeah. you, you see his face like not move he like leaves the doorway comes back into the train car and like the, 
the camera <laughs> tilts down. It's like, oh, it's like, are you okay? Oh, dearie me. There's a <laughs> you must be in shock because you didn't feel yeah. a thing. <laughs> oh, man. Look as if they mean business. I was only aware of them as a comedy duo from this movie. And like when I saw them in um, Dead of Night, although... I think it was just the two actors. They weren't supposed to be playing those two characters, I guess. But like, basically uh, the same though, like feeding yeah. off of each other. Yeah. Right. Maybe we'll have to do another a, a Charters and uh, Caldecott uh, block because you know they did a couple movies. They did kind of like a unofficial, not quite their uh, remake of this movie uh, called Night Train to Munich. Uh, Margaret Lockwood's also in that. Mm. Um, and like the the cook the cooks tour. Anyway, a handful of other movies. They were really interesting, and like and in this one in particular, uh, you're. I feel like the audience. Are you supposed to question uh, whether or not they're a couple? Oh, I was not. Okay, that would be really progressive for for this time, right? Think of how much disinterest they had for the you know whatever she was the Swedish maid, uh, like changing <laughs> oh, in front of right. them and all this stuff, and like they were more pissed that know. they had to share the room with her. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I, I think you're supposed to just read that as, like, them thinking it's improper for someone to be in there or whatever, uh, and that, like, uh, you know, they're being um, inconvenienced by all this stuff. But, you know, it, anyway, it, I think you're right. I, I think it's it's probably a little too uh, early in, in uh, cinema history to, uh, you know, have characters like that. Uh, although it feels like that's also, you know, potentially, like, they're trying to slip one... Uh, you know, under the censors uh, on that one. Right. Interesting. I wouldn't put that past Hitch at all. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, his favorite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked how they set up Michael Redgrave's character um, as an ethnomusicologist. Yeah. And, and he's he's introduced because he's uh, has a bunch of people he's trying to, like, <laughs> reverse engineer, like, folk, folk songs. Like, right, right. And, and, and <laughs> he's I, I don't know what dancing. the hell he's supposed to be doing with like writing in his diary about like oh yeah there's a, a step and then a kick and a, it's like it's like what is he doing how is he recording this like, <laughs> <laughs> I like that because it set him up as you know the the expert in that field which obviously that came back later um, and then Mrs. Right, Freud right. is also listening to that uh, yeah a, a, a busker yes right? um, yeah. but I I just love how all that stuff comes together um, it really pushes forth that like little mysterious, you know, MacGuffin, like you were saying, those, those, those pieces in there, you know, those things that you're always chasing or, you know, that you're wondering about. In fact, like the tune and whatever, like, none of that was like really revealed until the sort of the very end. And you're like, okay, that makes sense now why there's such a crazy conspiracy and like the, you know, the, <laughs> whatever, the, the, the foul mouthed woman with the high heels as a nun and all this stuff. And like, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> she shouldn't be wearing heels. A lady of, a lady of God. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And and you know and the doctor and all these other things. Yeah, but when Miss Freud takes off into the forest at the end, I was I was laughing my ass. I'm like, go get out of there, save yourself. She did so yeah. well. She's just kind of like hobbling yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, she had kind of that Hobbit run. I, I guess she uh, she she stayed fit with her cardio because uh, yeah, <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't uh, a, an obstacle for her. In case I'm unlucky and you get through, I want you to take back a message to a Mr. Calendar for Paul office in Whitehall. It's a tune. It contains, in code, of course, the vital clause of a secret pact between two European countries. The first part of it goes like this. Oh, perhaps I'd better write it down. The movie kind of hits everything that Hitchcock does well uh, with, 
you know, it, the, the comedy and the suspense and like the whole MacGuffin thing and like even the sort of shootout in the end and like and sort of the uh, the, 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 the romance story, I guess, um, you know, it kind of touches on, on all of his uh, his um, his strengths. And, you know, it, it, it just feels like it, it comes together in a, in a fun way. And like it also has this ominous sense of you know europe going to war and all this kind of stuff like which you know in 1938 uh, obviously that seems to be on the horizon here for uh especially the british mm-hmm. and the way that they were kind of imagining it there was more like world war one where it's like oh uh, the uh, a duke in some other country that you've never heard of or whatever it's like you know th- that whole speech <laughs> right from uh what was that man knew too Manu much too much yeah yeah and like Essentially, that idea was like, okay, in this this place, uh, that in this country that maybe Liechtenstein or maybe Fakedenstein, um, <laughs> it's like, you know, there, there's something going on there, and there's like, you know, a European country that don't, wants this and that. Now, again, they're, they're kind of imagining it the way that World War One started, but uh, you know, you could tell that there was it was sort of this anxiety that was, uh, you know, in in the back of everyone's mind at the time, or, or just sort of this free floating thing. Because, you know, it was one of those things where everyone's, like, talking about, well, what about England, man? What about England? And it's like they're, they ended up they're, they're talking about uh, cricket and not, uh, not, right. not, the, not the nation. Anyway, so, so it has has sort of all those elements uh, that make Hitchcock movies so enjoyable. I think, you know, maybe um, the one thing it might be missing is sort of the really, really dark villain, the way that you were talking about with Strangers on the Train with Bruno or maybe even the you know in, in Psycho with uh, with uh, Norman or, or you name it like the, the, there's a handful of these really really dark characters that he does so well uh, that this one doesn't have but I think sort of other than that the uh, it, it sort of hits on all the uh, the like the the Hitchcock strengths yeah this one's got I would say that this one's got more of the all of the Hitchcock stuff like it, he just he went for the the dark and foreboding when it came to Strangers on a Train like that was a yeah. That was a, a pretty scary film with a very intense ending, um, and I thought <laughs> I, I was shocked to see that ending. I, that that ending holds up so well on the carousel. Yeah, like I was yeah. like, "Holy cow!" Yeah. Uh, when that old amu- uh, amusement park worker or whatever he was, uh, uh-huh, was like crawling underneath, climbs underneath that thing, and I, I understand <laughs> it's fake. I understand nothing's over him, but man, I was like, "Can you duck down a little further, man? Because yeah, you're gonna get yeah. the top of your head. You're gonna get scalped." <laughs> It's like, dude, the whole your whole back is gonna get like chopped right. off. <laughs> but man, right. I mean, like, it, it you know, it, it could have been written or looked goofy, right? You know, a, a stray bullet hits the guy, you know, that's controlling the carousel. He hits the button or the the lever, uh-huh. and the thing just right. starts going fast. It's almost like something out of Problem Child, you yeah. know, like it's something ridiculous. <laughs> Although it it's so good. Um, and then that one little kid that was talking shit to Bruno and like kind of right. making fun of him, and he, and he pushes him. He almost pushes him off. <laughs> and like the, the and previously in the in the movie when he like pops the kid's balloon, yeah. <laughs> that reminded me of Inner Space with uh the, <laughs> mr odo or whatever his name right. is I, I wonder if that's where he got it from it was probably this movie right yeah exactly god and like uh and robert walker is just he's just so brilliant as as bruno but what and, a what a tragic uh, life he had I, I, I he died right after this right 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 only yeah, like 31 it, years old uh due to i guess complications due to prescription drugs which is a very current problem that we have today. Right. Well, so, so supposedly, you know, he had been drinking really hard that night, and then, like, you know, I don't know, it, his nurse or somebody, 
somebody who was in the medical field was like, okay, here, just take this. It'll calm you down. And it calmed him all the way down. Oh, you Jesus. Know? That's terrible. Turned him off. And, uh, because yeah. this guy as a villain, I think, could have gone on to be a superstar. Because this is a role I, I was. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw the again the genesis of Norman Bates in him. Um, it was almost like an earlier Norman Bates mm-hmm. that we got to see when mm-hmm. he was actually dealing with his father when the father was still alive. You know, even right. though his mother yeah, was yeah. like, "Calm down, Bruno." You know, like don't right, get crazy right. again. You know, they kept referring to these past moments that he might have had. Um, but man, yeah. like, and he, and he had kind of a, a moneyed background, like, uh, yeah, like Norman did as right. well. Like, or Norman was kind of like, you know, falling out of it a little bit. But like, you know, anyway, it, it that it's the worst kind of rich is, kid is you could ever there. meet. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, especially like on a train with, with affluenza, where where you know, you know, human life is valueless to him or whatever. And yeah, yeah, like, not at all. I mean, it was it's like a game. It was all it was all a game to him. I felt right. Um, he was like choking that woman at the party. Holy and, like, God! And then sees. Uh, Pat Hitchcock uh, over her shoulder or whatever. How amazing was she in this? <laughs> I declare. She, <laughs> she was so cute, so well, funny. Well, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. I'm afraid there'll be a lot of reporters at your front door in the morning. Oh, Daddy doesn't mind a little scandal. He's a senator. I love that. No, she was great. And, and, it, yeah. and it's one of those things where it's like, you wouldn't think, oh, that's the director's daughter, right? You wouldn't no. think, oh, okay, well, we have to excuse that one because it's the director's no, daughter. She no, she held her own. She was awesome. Yeah. yeah, she was incredible. Yeah, everyone was great in this one. No, exactly. I mean, Farley Granger. I think was this was after Rope, right? Um, Rope's another one. Okay, so so that's the one take film. Exactly. That's a, <laughs> the kind of yeah the one take gimmick thing. That that the only thing I wanted to say about Rope, you know, aside from the fact that it was connected to Farley Granger, was that like um, that one too had uh, quite a bit of. Um, you know, subtext about the two main characters being gay in that one. Mm. And, you know, so I, again, it, it kind of makes me wonder about the, the lady vanishes. I mean, yeah. Uh, and, and whether or not, you know, again, he was just trying to, to get away with something there, you know, Farley Granger. I mean, even though he was also good in rope, like he, he's, you know, really, really good in this one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, um, the guy is like, okay, Bruno, okay, buddy, yeah, yeah, good theory, all right, take it easy, man, and like, you know, and, and then how it turns into him, you know, just like, uh, you know, just a sweaty uh, mess trying to get out of this thing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the scene where uh, um, Guy Haynes, the tennis player, Farley, Farley Granger, uh, was talking to his um, his you know sort of current and estranged wife in the sort Miriam. of you know record listening room. And, you know, she was twisting the screws on him. And, you know, he, he just did such a good job of, you know, having it feel like the walls are closing in on him. You could really see it in his eyes, you know. They really set her up as, as, a, as, a, as an awful person, didn't they? <laughs> they certainly did. <laughs> she was not only sleeping around, but she was pregnant with another man's baby. Or at right. least that and, was implied. And, and right? how are you going to... No, no, I, I think it was... Yeah, that was explicit, right? They, explicit, they but that. like but they were like, you know, how are you going to prove that it's not yours or whatever? <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. and what's interesting is like how they were able to sort of like get the two actresses to look kind of similar. Uh, Pat Hitchcock and and um, I can't remember the, the actress's name. That Casey Rogers, yeah. Which was the whole reason that he started started strangling that woman, right? He saw Miriam in uh, Babs. Was that her name? Bar- yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Babs. Uh, no. they, they, you know, she saw, and then. I thought that that was a great turn for her too. Um, 
Pat Hitchcock when, you know, after she sees this happen, she she has this moment where she's trying to explain to, uh, sorry, Guy Haynes's new love um, mm-hmm. that, you know, her sister, Anne that, Morton. you know, yep. this guy was strangling me. He was looking at me, and, and all right, of a sudden right. her whole whole persona is like, You're right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, just really well done. What's the matter, Barbara? Did you see it happen? He looked at me. His hands were on her throat. And he was strangling me. I should have guessed that this was the, the one that he would have really liked out of, out of the bunch. It's really the great. Because it you know, it's it's so dark in, in certain in in certain uh, aspects and like the way that you know, he, he's exploring some of these things, um, which are sort of, you know, probably more taboo for the time. And you're able to kind of get away with it because he's supposed to be the bad guy. Uh, but just the uh, sort of way that they don't like leave it on the surface. I mean, like the conversation, the sort of polite conversation that Bruno's having at that party where he kind of crashes the senator's party. Yeah. He gets in there and starts having these like conversations like droll conversations about murder and like well how would you do the murder and blah blah blah. and oh i think i would poison them (laughs) yeah (laughs) he goes now we're talking (laughs) yeah exactly well they they have a very similar uh moment in and sort of like uh idea in rope uh only here I, i feel like they take it a little bit darker which is like to have him show up Start talking like a fucking weirdo at this party. Everyone's politely like putting up with him. And then, you know, he goes and sits down with these old ladies, these old dowagers who are uh, who are ready to like, you know, entertain this uh, interesting oddball young man. And then he's like, here, let me just put my, my hands around your neck. And like, you know, he's like choking her until he passes out because, you know, he gets right. Like, I thought he was going to kill her. I, th- I thought that's how that was going to go down. And he was going to have to like you know, run for the hills or something after that. <laughs> I thought that it was going to be like a big chase at the end, but he just yeah. barely got away with that one. I have the best way and the best tools. Simple, silent, and quick. The silent part being the most important. Let me show you what I mean. You don't mind if I borrow your neck for a moment, do you? Well, if it's not for long. I forgot how sort of um, brutal some of the, the sort of murders were in this, or I guess there's only one real murder Mm -hmm. uh but you know him choking those two women uh one to death and one uh until he passed out um and then you know like you're saying like sort of the the sort of the the way it ended uh with the uh yeah with with, with him being crushed underneath that thing and like um you know all sort of three of those scenes of you know two deaths and one attempted murder were were handled, you know, pretty dark, and the, it it wasn't the the usual. Um, let let's put it this way, like there wasn't the same reaction that uh, you know Caldecott had when he got his hand shot, where he's like, hmm, that's uh, that's droll. I am now shot in the hand, you know, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or or the guy who's like, uh, I'm a British subject, and he gets you know lit up outside the train. <laughs> and, you know, like he, I, you know, to me, his his death. Uh, uh, felt like more like it was it was played for for laughs or like oh that's what you get for uh, for being a pacifist or whatever he was, right? It, in, in is this that when one, he waved the white flag and got yeah, shot? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, and, and and in this one, you know, all three of the the those scenes of death uh, or, or or near death were were pretty brutal to to sit through. You know, it's like it, yeah. it was really uncomfortable. Yeah, especially when he would see Miriam's face in. 
uh, and it was constantly that replay of him strangling her at the, uh, uh-huh. at the I- island of love or whatever that was. Yeah. Where he, <laughs> he'd bring the boats over. But, you know, when he saw that in um, Pat Hitchcock's glasses, they did that cool reflective visual effect right, where right. you know he had that um, flashback. And it was interesting to see that he was, you know, a very cold psychopath, I'll call him. Um, but he, it, he was bothered by this stuff, you know, like it did stick with him. So it did give yeah. him a sense of human, uh, like a human uh, humanism, I guess. He wasn't yeah, yeah. such a cold uh, killer. He, yeah, he, he wasn't sort of full Norman Bates yet. Where or it's Michael like Myers. Able to or, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, you know, just cover it up and, and go along with, you know, he, he was like very scheming and... Um, he had plans. Didn't uh, necessarily, you know, it wasn't like he feel, felt bad about killing this this person. Uh, but what is it? What is it that sort of made him pass out? It, it, it's like that. It, it's almost as if you know he had sort of like a, a psychosexual fantasy about this thing, and like and was sort of reliving it until it, you know, short circuited him or something. It's like it's like yeah. this really interesting scene that like leaves you with some interesting questions about, about what's going on inside Bruno's head. Yeah. I thought part of his, his rage was based on the fact that he held up his end of the bargain or the bargain that he thought he made with guy. Um, however, (laughs) you know, there was no agreement. He's like, all right, well I did yours. Now you do mine. it's like, wait, what? (laughs) I mean, he, he had, he had some very strong, uh, like single white female energy. (laughs) Like, you know, just like a little too obsessed, uh, uh, you know, (laughs) Who, who was it in that? It's Jennifer Jason Lee in that yeah, one, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got a little of that going on. But like from the get go, you meet this guy and like from his costuming or his, you know, that strange tie pin that he's got that's got his mm-hmm. name on it. You know, it's oh, almost it's like childish. We're, we're watching his his feet walk out. Right. Out of the yeah. Platform and all these things. Yeah. Uh, like a funny jacket or a funny shirt he's got on, and uh-huh. you know the stark contrast between it's him like my and mother guy. makes me wear it. Oh yeah, he's got mommy issues too. Just <laughs> yes, like, exactly. Uh, like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean there, there was there was a lot there, um, especially I, I just felt uh, this was kind of like a, a version of Norman. You know, we got to see yeah. like a different side of Norman, or, or a little bit more into his life. Right, exactly. Uh, who who wrote the uh, screenplay for for Psycho? Joseph Stefano, is that right? Sounds right. Yeah, apparently, like this is one of his favorite movies. <laughs> and, oh, okay. and, and I guess you could kind of see, you know, that that there's sort of that archetype there in, in in the Bruno character that he brought to the Norman character, like versus like the Norman that was in the book. Was supposedly a lot more like sort of Leatherface and like the mm-hmm. sort of like hulking, you know, monster type. And instead, he put the sort of it seems like he put a little of the the Bruno character uh, over top of the uh, Norman character, you know, by making him a little more ur- you know urbane or just like you know unassuming and like totally, yeah, yeah. I mean, unassuming and and to the point where you'd you'd almost be intrigued to talk to somebody like this. Yeah, well, and, and, and like sort of socially awkward. I mean, like, th- think about him at Bruno at the party, right? It's like right. He he he's very awkward, and like everyone had to, had to kind of put up with him because they're like, well, what's going on here? And until he started like f- he found the sort of perfect audience with those uh, dowagers, it's not as if you know people were sort of letting him off the hook. They were just like, yeah, this guy's a weirdo. Okay, yeah. buddy, uh, take it easy. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that they didn't let him off the hook. Like people were just like, oh, he's a normal guy. No, they, it was clear around the room that everyone saw that this guy was a little funky. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I wanted to bring up that that great. Uh, I guess it's a twist, or it was it was more. Um, just guy going to he took the map and the 
I think it was a gun or a knife that that Bruno sent to his house, and he's like, "This is where my father's uh, bedroom is. Oh, go in yeah. at night and go kill him." And he goes in there, and then Bruno's just in bed, you know, yeah. kind of like, "Hey, how are you? Were you going to yeah, warn he, he my was, dad he about this?" The, like, he was doing, <laughs> he was doing the the George like model pose or whatever. <laughs> the timeless art of seduction. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But that was great. I mean, like he he was he was a plotter. He was like a strategist. Like he had this whole thing in his head. And it yeah. just made him all the more scary. Right, right. I just, I, I couldn't believe like the situation that guy was in, and that he, that that the family that he was going to marry into, you know, had to deal with that. Right, the senator's daughter is who guy was with, um, but then he had to mm-hmm. go explain this whole thing, and they're like, well, surely you were on a train, so you know, the, your, that's your alibi, right? Well, they said I could have gotten on at uh, Baltimore or somewhere in the in the oh, range. Right, it right, was all right. between. DC basically is where that this all took place. Yeah, it was like it was like New York to DC or something. Du- Dupont yeah. Circle is where a lot of it took place. Yeah, it was it was interesting because I was like, oh well, he was on a train, so he couldn't get busted. But Hitchcock or whoever you know wrote this was just writing out all of those alibis and like crossing them off yeah, the list. Now yeah, we got to yeah. get this, we got to get this. So clearly, it was you know written with some purpose. Yeah, and I, I don't know how it how whatever similar it is to the book, but it, you know it was based off of a Patricia Highsmith uh, book. Uh, who also wrote um, Talented Mr. Ripley, or what became Talented oh, Mr. Yeah. Ripley. Oh, yeah. Now, this is cozy. Sort of like old times, isn't it, guy? Oh, skip it, Miriam. It's pretty late to start flirting with a discarded husband, especially when you're going to have another man's baby. The train factors into it throughout the whole time, even though I guess we don't spend a whole lot of time on there on the train. Um, but I, they do kind of, you know, he's like, changing trains towards the climax and the, the right. very, very end. It goes back like, to it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, we, we kind of, like, have it throughout. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of, uh, <laughs> you know, how much uh, train we got in the, in this uh, series, <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> you know, Strangers on the Train and, and Lady Vanishes are definitely the, uh, the, the ones that uh, take the cake on that. 39 Steps, a little bit of a stretch. Crisscross. I wanted to bring up the um, the intercutting between um, Guy playing in the tennis match and oh, yeah. Bruno trying oh, to stage the the lighter. Yes. I, right? Um, I thought well, that, that no, it, it, the intercutting was, was him. He lost the lighter down the sewer. Right. And he had That's to get it, it back was. or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> All those. It was it was great how he did that because you see Guy. Uh, it, I, honestly, he looked like he was playing tennis. Like it was a really well shot tennis match. Like I was, yeah. I was shocked. You could tell that there's some other people were in the wide shots, but either way, it was it was done really well. That kind of ratcheted up the intensity because the stuff that Bruno was doing was just reaching, right? He wasn't doing much. Yeah, so you yeah. had like this really like crazy thing going on with like the tennis, you know? Moment, yeah. And then we're back at Bruno and he's just kind of reaching to get that thing. <laughs> and you see every time they cut back to him reaching down, there's more and more people gathered around yeah. watching him do this. <laughs> They're like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you right. looking in the sewer? <laughs> right. right, exactly. And, and, and what's great is like that, yeah, like the, the tennis match, it was like, oh, he's going to make quick work of him or whatever. And like, and we, and we keep seeing how he's not making quick work of him. Oh no shit. Oh, 40 shit, love. Shit. Yeah, forty thirty, <laughs> and then we, 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 then we see like the fingertips like on the uh, on the on the lighter, and he's barely getting it. That kind of speaks to Hitchcock's ability to um, make the audience care about the things that uh, they ostensibly should be rooting against, which is they should be rooting for Bruno to be losing the lighter and not be able to you know frame guy with that. Interesting, yeah. But while you're doing it, you're like. 
get it, get it. You're, you're, you're almost you know, there. You're almost there. Just kind of grow your fingernails out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> he, he does that so well in Frenzy uh, uh, and also in in uh, Psycho, which, you know, you, you'll recall, like, especially when the, when the car starts to sink and it gets like three quarters of the way down and stops. Yeah. And you're like, oh, God, <laughs> how down, is he going to get that down, down, down there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you should be rooting the other way around, yeah, like for him for to get Norman. caught. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I didn't even yeah. think about that. Yeah, he he does have a, a great knack of yeah having the audience who you know more or less are probably pretty innocent people uh, mm-hmm. or not criminally insane yeah. um, to try to like jump in the mind of these killers and and to yeah. like live through them. Um, well, and to kind of adopt the killer's sort of point of view, which right. is which is what that whole lighter scene suspense scene was you know it's like you're you are just as nervous for the lighter as you were when robert donut was like you know you know being persecuted on the train and like you know having to like sweatily look up from the paper and see the guy <laughs> across from him and like oh is that cop gonna help me no oh no you know what i mean and it's like you, you all of a sudden are this accomplice to uh to right. bruno and, and and what what's happening with him and it's the same with norman and you know some of the other movies he does where he takes on that uh the killer's persona uh, persona mm-hmm. i'm always rooting for norman though yeah <laughs> he's one yeah, of my I mean, favorites you know he's he's you know he's pathetic and like everyone like treats him like shit and whatever yeah you know you you do kind of have some of that sympathy where it's like maybe the bruno character you don't have as much but for bruno you know. i don't think you have that sympathy because clearly i mean you don't really see what if his dad was really rude to him or or terrible to him as right, he was growing right. up they didn't really even when they were together, I think it was only one scene you see him and his dad together. Yeah. And it was just, he was just kind of a snot nosed punk to his dad. He's Sorry, father. Long distance. Right. Which, which kind of gives you the sense that, like, okay, maybe it's Bruno who's crazy. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is all in his head. And yeah. uh, there, there's some slight that his dad uh, but, did to him. But that Norman, he you can, you can kind of find, of, you know, like the, the, a comfort in that guy or like, you know, some sort of softness to him that you're like, oh, maybe he could be, right. he could be changed. You know, maybe maybe yeah. he could get out of this or something. Well, and, he... and and a lot of that has to do with like the fact that, at least in theory, you're supposed to know not know that he's uh, he is the, the right. sort of killer as well. Right. But 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 also like you know there is this idea that like there are two people inside of him. One's the killer, and one's the sort of you know sad you know pathetic uh, you know lonely person who's uh, built his own cage or whatever. Yeah, I was born into mine. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? I think you know. Just overall, with with uh, these movies, I mean, it um, gives the audience this appreciation for like uh, you know trains and the way that uh, Hitchcock you know um, showcased them and, and kind of like made them uh, you know fun and interesting. It's like in pretty much every one of these movies, like people are meeting strangers on a train and right. like and, and and you know talking to one another and, and doing those those kinds of things. I mean, I've taken a couple, uh, you know, cross country train journeys, and you know, uh, at least have you w- once or twice, yeah, like cool. uh, you know, gotten to know some of the people on there, and you know, stayed in touch or whatever. It, it isn't, you know, luckily no one's, uh, you know, done my murder, <laughs> and I've had to do theirs, but uh, crisscross, <laughs> crisscross. <laughs> So far, so far, so good. Yeah, you have much more life ahead of you and many more yeah. trains. Also, I, I haven't, uh, you know, had, had a, a, a train be uh, pulled off into some, uh, you know, unknown European country and had a, a shootout at the end either. But like, you know, so far, <laughs> there is something like so awesome about the idea of like train travel as depicted, especially in these movies. You know, 
as a lot of things in the movies that they're like sort of romanticizing uh, all, all kinds of things that they show. Uh, you know, Hitchcock and his uh, trains are, are sort of no uh, no exception. But you know, that being said, like, there is something that's like it's like uh, especially looking at it now with you know our 21st century eyes on like how we view mass uh, uh, travel, like especially with like planes, or whatever, like how stressful planes are. You know, mm-hmm. just like the from everything from, from the, the tight quarters you're in, the, and the you can't get dry, off. horrible air. You can't get off. Uh, you know, everything's a, a, a danger. Everything's like awful. The experience going through security and Sucks. you know all, all these things, like you know, whereas like on in these movies, like especially with the train travel, and e- even now with train travel, you just hop onto a train and you know there isn't that that sort of level of uh, right know, a strip searching or whatever as you're going into it and like you know <laughs> you know and, and and like extra added stress of all these other things when you think about how they're able to have these adventures on here it, it makes them like so much more interesting especially like you know lady vanishes like oh we haven't had any stops we haven't had any stops now in a plane you'd never say that because it's like well, what stops yeah. you wouldn't be doing that in fact you're trying to avoid stops as much as possible <laughs> right exactly. they give you a non-stop option <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's make this as, as fast as possible and as unenjoyable as possible. Exactly. Pack them in like sardines, <laughs> give them shitty food, and charge them a hell of right. a lot of money. Whereas in a Hitchcock movie, you're ordering Gibsons and uh, f- finding women who uh, who aren't particularly interested in the book they just started. <laughs> yeah, the food that they ordered in this, too, looked really good. And also, uh, the there was like the dining car, you know, where, where yeah, Farley exactly. Granger sees that, dr- that drunk guy that doesn't remember that he's on the train. Right. Oh, the observation car. Exactly. The observation yeah. car. Yeah. I, I just love that. There's like another area you can go to, you know, right, like right. It, it's actually like, you, you can go stretch your legs and walk around. And right. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's things to visit on the train. Even when you're moving, there's, there's no seat belts. There's yeah, exactly. You can go to the shitter on the plane. If you want, <laughs> you know, you can ring the bell a couple of times and maybe the, the flight attendant will talk to you, but that's about it. <laughs> You might get a movie, <laughs> right? Or or you'll get get somebody putting their their feet up on your uh, on your seat or whatever. Yeah, or something that's kicking your clipping seat. Yeah. their toenails while they're they're flying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or someone that brings on. This is we're going way into this, but someone that brings on their own food, like from McDonald's yeah. or something, and it just reeks the whole. Pl- yeah. Oh God! Right, right. Can't exactly. you eat nothing for a while? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's there's no dining car uh, to go to on a plane to uh, you know, have somebody deal with that. And and I mean, I think that that just goes back to why it's so uh, effective in these older films to you know, like you said, romanticize this travel by train, and it's yeah. It also just adds a bit of I don't know drama, speed, yeah, adventure, yeah. yeah, adventure around the whole thing because you're. Even when these people are having conversations, they're moving, you know, uh-huh. the, the background's going, wow, 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 you know, like, so there's like just something active happening all the time. Yeah, or, or when you're uh, sneaking on the outside of the train and, uh, oh no, there's another train coming by. <laughs> that, that, that really sold. I thought that was great. Yeah. yeah. It puckered up the butthole when you're watching that. <laughs> oh, oh. Got tight. Careful. I was making diamonds. <laughs> Can you imagine being able to smell a flower? on the planet Mars. All right, next week, we will be talking about films that were, I guess, inspired by Groundhog Day. This genre that was uh, created yeah. from Groundhog Day, this time loop um, a, genre, if you will. A sub-genre. Yeah, a exactly. sub-genre, yes. Uh, we'll be watching and talking about Groundhog Day from 1993 
Edge of Tomorrow from 2014, and Palm Springs from 2020. These are all pretty different films. Um, so this is going to be an exciting block. Yeah, it's a cross-genre subgenre, I guess. Right. <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it it feels like, um, and and perhaps there are some, uh, you know, precedents for a movie like Groundhog Day, uh, but maybe not to that level of where, where we, you know, see the loop over and over and over and over and over and over, and it's like doesn't break for the longest time. Uh, you know, I know Edge of Tomorrow is very similar in that sense. Um, but it'll be interesting to kind of like see uh, the kind of uh, subgenre this movie created. Didn't you just say that? All right. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on all the podcasts and social platforms at the Grindhouse Institute. And if you really want to give us a boost, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps us to get noticed. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back next week. Ciao. Beg your pardon, but aren't you Guy Haynes?